Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. And we've been in a series uh, over the last few months now in Ephesians that we're referring to as finding our identity. Finding our identity. And so the question is, uh, why does a ministry of college and young adults need to have a series on finding our identity? Uh, and uh, that, should, that should feel obvious, I, I hope. But um, we do. We live in a world that puts a lot of pressure on us to think about our identity, right? Uh, there's a lot of pressure from the world to figure out who we are and uh, to understand it and to feel what we are, I think it's really important in our world that we're supposed to feel a certain way, like feel our way to identity. And it's actually, it's a cultural obsession, I think, from what I can tell. And the focus of so much of our lives is spent on trying to figure out who we are that, from what I can tell in my relationships with the 18 to 30-year-olds in this ministry is that it leaves you uh, a lot of times super confused, actually, about who you are. And, uh, you know, all we have to do is, is observe and pay attention to the evolution that is the profile description on someone's social media account to know just how conf- confused people are about their identity. Like, have you ever paid attention to this? Like, how people, like, are constantly changing the description to meet whatever change that's happening in their life or, or however, however they... They choose to identify themselves that week. They just make a little, it's like he, him one week, but they, them next week, right? Or one week it's I'm a student in college, and the next week it's I'm an explorer in Bangladesh, right? People are always wandering. They're, they're, they're wandering looking for who their, you know, their true identity is, and they never seem to find it, you know? Uh, you know they, they, it just produces more confusion. And, and one of the things that you discover, though, is that, that often people identify themselves based on what they do, okay, what they do. Uh, so it, it, it may be, you know, their occupation or, or something like that. Maybe, maybe they see themselves as an artist. They see themselves as an entrepreneur. They see themselves as an activist. That's a real popular one right now, being an activist. Uh, some people see themselves as an evangelist or a father or a mother or whatever it might be. And people identify themselves in terms of what they do. Now, I think we know deep down in our soul that what we do does define us. It does define us. But in what way? In what way? What's the biblical way of understanding this? How important is it that we understand the way that, that the, the things that we do and the, the things that we associate ourselves with, how should those things inform the way that we see ourselves? I think is a really important question, and it's one we're going to address today in our sermon. So are we ready? Yeah. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for this passage. This is one of the most foundational portions of Scripture. Uh, it's one that many of us in the room have memorized. Um, and, uh, and yet, I think... Like we often do with your scripture, uh, it just becomes a talking point, and uh, the reality of your truth is so often missed, um, how it applies to our life. We, we, we just don't 
understand it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us have a greater and deeper understanding of your word today and that we would learn uh, how it applies to our life. Um, We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm getting a lot of feedback right here, just FYI. If we could do something about that, um, that would be awesome. Thank you. Um, So Ephesians 2, verse 8 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. You can say it along if you know it. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his work. This is the part you don't know, right? Yeah, so just like... My knowledge ends there. <laughs> Verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, we, we love Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, don't we? We love it. Love it. We played that game uh, in, in service on Tuesday where it was like, hey, um, you know, there was like the hypothetical sharing the gospel. Which verse should I use? And everybody was saying Romans 10, uh, 9 and 10. People were saying John 3, 16, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is right there. It was in the running. It was right there behind John 3, 16. People were voting for that verse because we know that we often go to it as a critical, uh, pivotal passage uh, on our salvation, right? It's a, it, you know, theologically speaking, this is a critical passage that informs uh, the way that we understand the salvation that God has given us through Christ Jesus, and so when we study Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we gain insight that actually dismantles some of the greatest falsehoods about Christianity that exist. Uh, we employ this verse quite a bit when, when we're trying to address, you know, heterodox views about salvation. We come to this passage. Now, let's begin by looking at the passage and discussing just how monumental it is and how much it informs our doctrine. And then we're going to try to make application. So let's start here in verse 8 where it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So this passage informs us that grace, that the grace of Christ is the gift that we needed for salvation to be possible. We needed the grace of Jesus Christ in order to make salvation possible. In fact, this is a reiteration from a statement earlier in the chapter. Right? We've seen this We've seen this language already earlier in the chapter. In verse 4 it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. By grace. It's the grace of Christ by the work of his resurrection that opens the way for the world to receive him. We are justified, we are redeemed by the free gift of his unmerited favor. Romans 3.24 says, Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Freely, by his grace, it's free. Acts 15.11 says, But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. And So salvation is by grace. Grace. Grace is necessary. So what does grace say? Grace says that there's nothing, nothing that you did, only what he did, right? That it was Christ that paved the way, that Christ's love was extended to you. You weren't reaching out for it. You didn't even acknowledge the fact that you needed it. It wasn't until his grace shone through that you realized that you were a sinner in need of a Savior. It was his grace that awakened you to that reality. It's his grace that adopted you in. It's his grace that, that, that professed this undying love that he has. 
Guys, I got this cold, okay? <clears throat> and I was, char- I was charging those uh, cough drops before I got up here thinking that was going to do the trick, but it's not quite doing it. Um, so salvation is by grace, which means it's, it's by the finished work of Christ and the cross. And that's a wonderful thing. That's wonderful to know that, that, that we didn't have to do anything, that he extended his love towards us. But the verse doesn't end there, right? It doesn't end there. It goes on further. And it gives us more insight into what this means. See, we don't have to believe in, in a universalism that says that the grace of Christ just happens to save everyone. A lot of people believe that. A lot of people want to believe that that Christ's resurrection just somehow by, by, by osmosis or by just its sheer existence, the fact that he rose from the dead somehow just automatically saves all of humanity. We, we don't believe in that kind of universal view. We don't believe that salvation is imposed upon humanity, that he forces it on us. We don't believe that people trip and fall and get saved. We don't believe that. What we do believe is that the Bible teaches grace must be received by an individual. It requires personal faith. You have to make a decision. God gave us free will. He he, he didn't insist anything upon you. In fact, his love declares that, 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 that we get to decide, right? Love insists that he's not made us to be robots, His love has given you an option because that's what loving people do. They they say, hey, I'm extending this grace to you, but it's up to you to decide whether or not you want it or you want to reject it, whether or not you receive it or throw it away. It's up to you. That's what love does. He's given us the option. For by grace are ye saved through faith. So an easy example of this is, is, is gift giving. It's almost Christmas time. I like to, you know, I like to be a little thematic in my sermons from time to time, right? So we, an easy example of this is, is, is the way it works at Christmas, okay? You wake up, you go downstairs, at least this is how it used to be, right? Like some of y'all are like living in a bummy apartment now, and you wake up for Christmas, Christmas at like 10 o'clock, and you make yourself a cup of coffee, and you try to decide whether or not you're going to take a shower, right? Like, but when you were a kid, at least, when you woke up, You'd go downstairs, and there would be a Christmas tree, and there would be packages underneath the Christmas tree, and uh, they're sitting there, and, and some of them have your name on them, right? And if you're like me, like my, like my parents were real cheap, so what they did is they like took, cut a piece of the, of the um, wrapping paper and folded it and wrote my name, right? Is that what your parents did? Or maybe they just took a Sharpie and just wrote on the top, right? <laughs> like Eva, she's a little bougie. She like buys... She, like, buys, like, special little tags, and we have to, like, like labor over, like, making the tags, and then we stick the tags on. It's completely unnecessary. <laughs> it's just an added cost. But you go down, and you find your name on top of the, of the gift. And, and so here's the deal. Before ownership can be transferred from Santa Claus to you <laughs> or from your parents to you, before, before that gift can go from the ambiguity of just simply being underneath the tree to becoming your own, you have to receive it. You have to take it. It has to become yours. You have to bring it into your holding. 
It has to be unwrapped. It has to be claimed as your very own. This is how gift-giving works. And this is how the grace of God works in your life. This is how the gift of, of God works for you. See, God has done everything for you. He's done everything for you. And he sent his own son into the world that he might lay down his life to cleanse you of your sins. He took the death that you deserved. And then he rose again to defeat death. And that's the gift that's been extended to you. There's, there's no more beautiful gift. There's no greater gift that could ever be given than to, 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 than to receive the gift of Jesus Christ and salvation. And yet he's given you the choice to either receive the gift or to leave it where it lies. And that's the beauty of our salvation is that he's not made us, but he's given us the option. The gift of God's grace is received through the, the conduit, through the mechanism of personal belief. Romans 10.9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. See, this is actually how God has always worked. God has always used the free will of humanity to decide, to decide whether or not they want him. God has always worked by the means of call and response. God called Adam in the garden. Adam, where are you? And Adam had to respond, and he did. God extended a promise to Jacob, and Jacob had to vow himself to God in light of that promise. God called out to Samuel three times before Samuel responds with the affirmative, God, here I am. God reveals himself to Paul on the road to Damascus, and Paul had to respond, what shall I do, Lord? So God has always extended his love and his grace through an invitation and it's up to you to receive it. You can ignore it, which many of you in the room have done for a very long time. You know the message of Jesus Christ. You're familiar with the gospel. You know that, that Christ came and gave his life for you and rose from the dead. You know it. You're aware of it. But you've never responded by saying, what shall I do, Lord? You've never cried out for forgiveness. You've never confessed your belief. And so you remain exactly where you are, lost in your sin, hoping just to go along to get along. And yet his grace is still there. It's present. It's calling out to you. Now, Scripture is full of examples of God's invitation into relationship. He's calling to humanity. He's inviting, inviting them into relationship and there's plenty of examples of man re receiving him or rejecting him over and over again throughout Scripture. And Christ's salvation, it's, it's not a mystery to us anymore. Romans 16 tells us that the mystery of the gospel, it was once hid, but now it's clear. God's made that mystery revealed to us that what was a secret is no longer a secret. Jesus Christ came and he gave his life. So it's not a mystery no one's being forced to receive it. 
God has given us a free will to believe or to disbelieve, to receive or to reject, to respond or to ignore, to confess or denounce. Salvation is received by those who receive it in faith. In faith. Now, now this is super important. And we have to know this, but, but the, the passage continues on. And so what we learn about salvation, what salvation is, we also learn about what it's not, which is just as important. We have to understand what salvation is not in order to truly understand the reality of salvation and grace and faith itself. So Ephesians 2, 8 continues, and it says, that not of yourselves. It's not of you. It's not of something that you can do. It's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So what we learn is that there's a difference between grace and faith and works. Three distinct things. When the Bible says works, it means moral action or, or, or religious behavior. And so Paul's reminding the church in Ephesus that we don't earn our salvation through acts or behaviors. We receive it by faith. So if we continue on with the illustration about Christmas, you can imagine for a moment, you wake up early, you go downstairs, you see the gifts underneath the, the, the tree, you go, and there, there's a present, it's got your name on it. But upon closer examination of the card that is on that box, you begin to read, and your father has left you a note. And the note says that this gift is for you. But in order to receive it, you have to start by going outside and plowing the driveway of all the snow. Then you've got to, you've got to rake up the leaves, and I want you to climb up. I want you to clear all of, all of the leaves out of the gutter. And then uh, I've got like a list of like seven different errands I need you to run. And then once you've done all of those things and you've done them perfectly, the gift is yours. That's not a gift. That's a job. (laughs) But so many different people who call themselves Christian live in that economy. That's how they engage with God. They believe that their salvation is contingent on what they do. Now, this is, again, we talked about this in the last service. It's so beautiful, the picture of baptism. And we heard from Elijah today. Elijah was saying, look, I believed that there was something I had to do in order to earn salvation. And so I was told that thing to do was to get baptized. I had to get wet, apparently. And so he did that. But then he, he realized over time that, 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 that just the act of being put in water was not magical or spiritual and that it didn't do anything in terms of his salvation. See, the, God, the way that God built it is that you receive him first, you put your faith in him first, and then you get baptized. The works follow salvation. And he built it that way. And I think it's really important for us to remember and to understand That there's nothing that you could have ever done to earn what God gave you. It's a ridiculous thought. But I bet if, let's be honest here, if we were to pull the room today and say, you know, what do you have to do to be saved? There would be a large, a surprisingly large number of people who are in this room right now who who, who call themselves Christian who would say that they need to be good or they need to follow what the commands of the Bible say, or they need to be baptized, or they need to, there's something that they need to do in order to be saved. Listen to me. 
It's a free gift. That's what gifts are. You don't earn gifts. And our, and our actions can't and don't and won't merit the grace of God. And the reason that it's a gift and the reason that it's grace is because it's free. That's what makes it grace. Romans eleven six 6 says, And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Right? If it's, there's a dichotomy here. If it's of grace, then it can't be of works. If salvation is of grace, if it is a gift, then it can't be earned. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. You're changing the definition. But if it be of works, then it is, not, it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Quit messing up the definitions. Grace is grace because it's free. And all you have to do is receive it. Now, now this, is where we get, this is where we get into the application. And this is where I need us to really listen. I'm going to ask you a question. Here's a question. Key question is, if grace cannot be earned then why are so many of us, Kaya, why are so many of us pretending and behaving that it can be? See, here, herein lies the identity crisis issue for us. See, so many of us know the experience of coming to Christ empty-handed. You remember that? Remember when you accepted Christ as your Savior, you received him through faith? And you came to him and you realized in that moment that you had nothing to offer him and yet he was giving you everything. Remember how that felt? So many of us have, once upon a time, we, we discovered a God that loved us and favored us and valued us even when we didn't deserve it. So many of us have found forgiveness and acceptance for the very first time ever in our life when we met Christ. We never, even, we never knew what love was. But why is it that so many of us struggle to rest our identity in that reality now? Too many of us, too many of us see ourselves not in light of the finished work of Christ, but in light of what the world tells us that we should be. We learn to hold ourselves in the way that the world expects. We dress the way, the way they want us to. We talk the way they want us to. We perform for our peers. We virtue signal for the sake of acceptance. We speak the world's language. And we work real hard at trying to belong. Don't we? But it's no different in the church. Too many of us see ourselves not in light of the finished work of Christ, but in light of religious expectations. We learn to walk and talk the way we imagine a Christian should. We perform for our peers and, and we see their acknowledgement and we take pride in it. So many of us in the room want to be seen as mature, we want to be seen as leaders. The perception of it is more important than the actual thing. 
Actually being mature isn't important. It's just looking mature. Being perceived as that. We say the things that we, we think people want us to say. We, we act spiritual. And when we do that, when we do that, we convince ourselves that what God really wants is our works. That somehow our, our identity relies on, is contingent on, what we do. Here's our key point. For many of us, we aren't concerned with putting on Christ. We're concerned with putting on the best version of ourselves. That's what we want. If we're honest, that's what we're aiming for. Christ isn't the standard. The best version of us is. The best looking version, the smartest version, the most intelligent version. And so then you do everything in light of that. LFBI isn't for Christ, it's for you. Or for your, or for your friends. Going to Bible study, that's, that's not about Christ. <laughs> that's about hanging out with friends and being accepted. And so many of us get lost in this, in this what, what should be a paradox, Right? We get lost there and we get confused and then we begin worshiping at the idol of self. And it's really troubling. And we've, we have to figure this out. We have to get this right. Now, Paul ran into this kind of trouble uh, with the church in Galatia. He, he ran into this before. And so after Paul had invested a bunch of time in the, the region that we refer to as Galatia, he'd, he discipled the people there. He invested a lot of time and energy he established a church uh, that was reproducing itself. He taught them, and then, and then he left. Now, while he was gone, some false teachers crept in and convinced the people that receiving Jesus, that was a good thing. But in all actuality, if you really want to be saved, there's some things that you need to do. There's some ways that you need to act. There's some behaviors that need to be true of you if you really want to be saved. Like, the G, like we, yeah, Jesus is good, and we love him, and we receive him, but there are some things that are important that you need to do. And so that false teaching crept in, and so Paul, you know, he wasn't real happy about that, so he wrote this letter, and it's a strong letter. It's real strong. So he writes to them in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, he addresses it. He says, I marvel, like I'm shocked. The year so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now listen, I want you to hear yourself in this. We are prone to perverting the gospel. We are prone to perverting grace by focusing all of our identity on what we do versus what Christ has done. We're in danger of perverting the gospel that he's given us. The problem is that so many of us have chosen an identity that puts position and perception ahead of grace. Rather than simply, simply believing on Christ and putting our faith in him, we trouble our lives with a false gospel that says if we don't perform the right way, for Christ, for the church, for the people that we love and, and know, 
that we're somehow insufficient and lesser than. We compare ourselves to one another, and we strive, and we try to create for ourselves an identity that God never gave us. Now listen to the stern and and kind of intense language that Paul uses when he addresses Galatians in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? that you should not obey the truth, before whose, whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you, receive ye the Spirit by the, by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. So he's asking them, do, do you remember where your salvation came from? Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or because grace was extended to you through the person of Jesus Christ? Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Verse 26 continues. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized, this isn't a a reference to, to physical baptism. This is the spiritual baptism that we experience when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and the Holy Spirit indwells us. As many of you as as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Listen. Neither you or the people around you can withstand endure or excel in light of the false expectations that you hold yourself and others to. When you choose to go back to the law, you go back to a performance way of thinking, when you go back to works, when you, when you start doing things in your flesh, when you're trying to look away, and that's what faith becomes about, that's what your Christianity becomes about, I want you to understand very clearly that you can't live up to those standards and, no, no, and other people can't either. No one else can either. And there's so many of you in this room, you're in discipleship or you're a certain phase in your life and you want to follow the Lord and you put all this pressure on yourself and you're wondering why you feel depressed or out of sorts or whatever it is and it's probably, listen to me, it's probably 99% of the time rooted in the fact that you are trying to be something that you're not. You are trying to act in a way or perform in a way or work in a way that that God never intended you, you, you to act or whatever expectations you're holding yourself to are only serving to bog you down and weigh you down. There is freedom in Christ. There's freedom in letting go. There's freedom in laying down. But if you're scurrying about trying to to, to, to perform for God, well, you're never going to achieve that. Our religious performance and perfectionism are, are a heavy weight around our neck. They're a burden that we can't bear. Not only that, listen to me, but when you emphasize outward performance, you become a shelter for sin. And this is the thing that I've really come to realize in years of counseling with people over and over again, What happens is 
They start doing all the things that are expected of them, and they're playing the part, right? It's not about the first fruits. It's not about knowing Christ. There's no intimate relationship with Jesus. What they do is they come, and they're with us, and they're doing the spiritual stuff. And so they become a whited sepulcher on the outside. They're clean, and, and by, 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 by everyone's estimation, they are religious, and they are spiritual, and they are mature, and they are leaders, and they are whatever. But on the inside, what's going on is rottenness. Because they're striving to perform for me, for you, to meet our expectations, to meet the perceptions that they think that they, and they get lost in it. And it's not about Christ anymore. It's about acting away. And listen to me, Kaya. We are all in danger of it. And when our ministry falls prey to that way of functioning and living, we will destroy the mission that God's given us. We will quite literally destroy it from the inside out. So this issue of identity, is a re- it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. And we can't afford to lose sight of grace in a sea of personal imposition and the pursuit of self-praise. We cannot afford to lose grace. And so here's our key point. Your identity is sourced in what Christ did, not what you do. Not what you do or what you did or how you perform or how people see you. And that's a relief, right? That's a relief. Now, now I, I know what a lot of you are saying in your heart. And you're saying to yourself, well, this, this balance is difficult because there's so much ministry and there's so much going on. And the mission requires so much of me and I get tired, I get worn down. I get frustrated because it's, it's, there's a lot. Like doing the work of ministry requires something from me that I don't always have. And so I get lost in the mix here because I know that there are things I'm supposed to do. Even though I know that there's something that I am and I can rest in that. I get lost in the mix. And you say, Brandon, when, when, when Christ has asked me to follow him, He's asked me to suffer for him and live the Great Commission. It's so easy to measure my worth by what I do for him. Fair. You might say it's hard to see the nuance between being his child and being his servant. It's hard for me to understand that sometimes. I get lost in that. You might say sometimes it's hard to, to differentiate between who I am and what I do in ministry. But listen to me, you've, by, by, by speaking the dilemma and understanding the dilemma, you've quite literally defined the paradox that you need. That's where the truth is. You've captured the paradox of the Christian life in the struggle itself. The truth is that you are identified by the grace that's been extended to you and the faith that you received it by. You are a child of God. And you can rest in that. But at the exact same time, he's made us for work. So let's try, let's try to hit this. Let's try to understand it. Okay? Look at what it says. It says in verse 10, For we are his workmanship. 
which means that we're his creation. He crafted us. We're the thing that he made. And so here's the point that we need. Your identity as his child is born in you, is born in you at the moment of your salvation. See, John 3 tells us that in order to to be saved, we have to be born again. We have to be made new. What was in our flesh has to be transformed in the power of the Spirit and in belief in Jesus Christ. It has to be transformed into something new. He makes us new. He, he, He takes what's old and rotten and fleshly and carnal, and he transforms it so that when he sees you, all he sees is the beauty and purity of his son, Jesus Christ. And it's born in you. That identity happens at the moment of your salvation. You receive him and you receive a new identity. You are his child. And that's a wonderful thing to know. We, we lost our old identity in Adam's sin and regained a new identity in the victory of Christ, 1 Corinthians 15. He took the old us and made us something new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We are his workmanship. He did a work in us and made us into the image of Christ which was lost through sin. Now further, further, we are remade in Christ for a purpose. We have a purpose. Verse 10 says, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So here's the other point we need to know. Your identity as his disciple, as his servant, is born out in you over time. So the the identity of Christ's child is born in you, in you, in the moment of your salvation. But your identity as his disciple is born out in you as you follow after him with everything that you have. And we can hold those two realities at the same time. We don't have to throw one away in order to focus on the other. So many of us were done with the child in Christ thing. Now I'm a disciple, and so I got to do things. No, 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 no. You're wondering why you're empty. You're wondering why you're, you're worn out and you're tired. That's why. But on the same hand, if, if, if there are many people who all, they only want to focus on being a child of God, and they remain there, and they never obey him. They never go from salvation to baptism, for instance, the first act of obedience, right? That's all, like, I love that about baptism. It's like, I know who I am. I believe on Christ with my whole life. I'm saved. I'm a child of God. And because of that, I am going to obey him, and I'm going to enter into good works because that's what he's made me to do. It's a part of his workmanship, 
His workmanship is to transform me into his child and then make me into a disciple. And so the thing is that if you remain a child of God but don't ever enter into discipleship, you will never know the blessings of God and you will never work for his purposes. And you will stand at the judgment seat of Christ and you'll stand empty-handed and you'll have gotten there, thank God, by his grace through faith, but you will stand empty-handed before him and you will feel ashamed before the the creator of the universe. And no one wants to live that way. You know, the evidence of who you are is proven to be either fact or fiction based on your willingness to follow after him. See, every, so every utilitarian object has a brand on it, doesn't it? Okay, uh, Alex hates brands. Like he won't wear a shirt that has like anything on it. Like he's really into that for some reason. Like it's like his edgy thing. <laughs> no shirts. If his shirt's got a logo on it, he's like he won't wear it. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Sweet. Hidden. But there's no way around it. Every shirt's got a brand on it, right? It's Nike. It says Nike on it, right? It's got a brand. Um. You know, if you go out and you buy a piece of technology, you want a computer, there's no way you're walking out of a store with a new computer that doesn't have a brand on it, right? It says, you know, Apple on it, or it's got, you know, whatever. I don't know computers. <laughs> HP, is that a computer? Yeah. Dell. Okay, so you walk out, and everybody judges you based on what the brand says, you know. <laughs> That's the dilemma, I suppose. But, but the point is, is that you can't avoid that. Now, listen to me. When you become a child of God and you take that on, you know, the brand on your life is whether or not you follow him in good works. Everyone knows whether or not you're a child of good based on the way that you behave and interact and the things that you speak. They either believe that you are what you say you are or they don't. And so it's absolutely critical that we understand that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That's what he's made you to do. It'd be a shame if you got home with that computer and you, and you, and you turned it on and it didn't work. The brand would be fairly useless. Grace made you something new. It repurposed your life. And now the evidence of his workmanship is borne out in the trajectory of your behavior and the things that you say and the things that you do. This isn't a burden. And some of y'all act like it is. This isn't a burden, it's a joy. It's a joy to be worn out for Jesus. I mean, after this weekend, how many of y'all are worn out after serving the Lord this weekend? I know you are. That is not a reason for you to go home this afternoon and, and shut out the world and say, woe is me. Look at, look at the servant that I am. No, listen. It's a joy. It's a joy to be a child of God. It's a joy to serve him. It's a joy to do things for his namesake. It's a joy to magnify his precious name. This is who you are. You're a child of God.
who is loved unconditionally, and you find your rest in him. And what you do has no bearing on who you are when you lay your head down on that pillow tonight. What you did for Jesus this weekend has no bearing on how he sees you. So if you flubbed something or you messed something up or you were really awesome at something this weekend or whether the the Christmas party went great or didn't go great, none of that matters. When you lay your head down at night, you are a child of God, free, set free. Take rest in that. But you're also a servant of God who's commissioned by God for a task. And what you do reflects the reality of who you are. And so you better freaking get to work. There's work to be done. You know, my son is, uh, he's 12 years old. So, you know, He's old enough to mow the lawn. He's old enough to go outside and rake those leaves and to make sure that his room is clean. He's old enough. And that's what I, ex- what I expect from him. That's what I expect. Doesn't change the fact that I love him. Doesn't change the fact that my favorite thing to do is to sit with him and hang out, to cuddle on the couch, to play a game, to shoot around in the backyard. I love that stuff. It's so much fun. That's the best stuff but I still make that boy go out there and rake those leaves. (laughs) Because what good is it having sons if you can't put them to work? You know what I mean? (laughs) God has an objective for this world. He wants to see the people in this world redeemed. He's building a spiritual kingdom in humanity. He wants to use his children, you, to do the job. That's not burdensome. That's not frustrating. Is it going to wear you out? Would you be tempted to be frustrated sometimes? Sure, sure. But it's worth doing. And you can hold child and disciple at the same time. And when we don't, though, when we get out of balance, that's how you end up in my counseling office. That's, what, that's how you end up, you know, sitting with your discipler or Bible study leader and you say, I just can't, I feel a way. I just, I feel bad. I don't know what's the matter with me. I'm depressed. I can't even, I don't even have the words to articulate. And then so you start investigating your life and you start going back and you start assessing, well, my relationship with my parents, and you have these conversations, you try to get to the root, and I get it, there's a root, there's, there's problems, like the, the life has got problems in it. But listen to me, the solution alone is not in rooting up with that, whatever that old dark thing is. The solution isn't there. The solution is in simultaneously knowing that you are a child of God and a disciple of God and living in that reality. That is where peace comes. That is where purpose comes. That is how we're driven to to love our neighbors, but then go to the furthest parts of the earth to declare his name. That's how we pull that off. But we have to know that's our identity. 
Otherwise, we'll just be like all the other confused Christians that are failing at their job all over the world right now. Sitting in a pew week by week, getting fed, being fat on the Lord, and never using it for any purpose. Or worse, or worse, become a pious Christian who looks at the church and despises it and hides away in their home or or says that they do house church with their family or whatever the heck that means. And they despise the thing that God has given them and they hide their life and they waste their life by loving Jesus and being a child of God but not living in his purposes the way he's asked us to. We can get real messed up on this, y'all. And we're so self-focused that we can't even see who God's made us to be. I wonder if you can understand this. I I wonder if you have the spiritual ears to hear what I'm about to say. God doesn't need you to be like other people. He doesn't need that from you. He doesn't need you to be like me. He doesn't need you to be like your discipler. He doesn't need you to take on their personality or their attributes. He doesn't doesn't need that from you. God doesn't need you to pretend to be stronger or smarter than you are. That's not what he's looking for. He doesn't need you to say to yourself, well, if I, if I just had more capacity or if, or if I was just a little bit smarter than I am. God doesn't need you to try harder or work longer or strive for anything more. He doesn't need that from you. See, God wants you to know that his His grace is sufficient to produce good works. And I wonder if you know that kind of grace. Do you know that kind of grace? It feels like complete acceptance. And then it converts like sugar in your, in your body into the energy necessary to do the next thing. Do you know that kind of grace? I want to invite the worship team up. For those of you who have been in ministry, you've been discipled, you're involved in Bible study, Oh, yeah, you're, there you are, bro. Come on up, man. You're good. Um, I get it. You're busy. There's a lot going on. You're learning to live this Christian life. Listen to me. Don't ever forget that Jesus loves you. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget. You know, one of the, the, the best things that you can do is just to have a, a life of prayer. Because prayer, the activity of prayer, praying without ceasing, is a constant reminder that he loves you (laughs) and that you need him. 
And there's some of you right now who've kind of lost your first love. You, you, you lost your first love because you started making your Christianity about something other than Christ. And so I want you to repent of that today. Like, just take this time of worship. Maybe you want to meet with someone. There'll be counselors up here. You can grab a hold of a, a friend. But pray and come before the Lord. And just repent of, like, striving. Being encumbered. Working for the Lord in your flesh. Expecting to always feel something. You know, I had a conversation with someone this week, okay? And, you know, she, she reached out and she's like, man... Faith has been so good recently. Following the Lord has been so rich. But sometimes in my, in my devotional time, my time with the Lord, I haven't felt close to him. And, you know, we've been talking about this as a staff a lot recently. Sam has been talking about it and just reminding our leaders that when you meet with God, you don't always have to feel a particular way. Like, you can meet with the Lord and read his word, and all you get is like, oh, God asked me to do some stuff today. And you can get up and not have like a burning fire in your heart. And you can get up and be like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to obey God. I'm just going to obey him. You know when you have a really tight friendship? You don't always have to feel a way. Like I can just passively and casually have a conversation with Dylan or Alex, with my wife. There's so much we do in day-to-day life that's casual. And we speak to each other and we do things and we have objectives that we need to get done. And we do those things. And we don't have to feel a certain way in that moment to know that we deeply love each other in relationship. What are you looking for in your relationship with God? Like a smooch on the lips every day? What do you want from him? He's like, how many times do I have to tell you that you're my boy? that I love you. Listen to me. Obey him in his words. But you know what? There's sometimes that are real sweet. Sometimes with the Lord, it can be real sweet. And you get in his word, and you read it, and it burns in your heart. And it's sweet. And that fellowship is wonderful. But no matter what that looks like, your time with the Lord, no matter what that looks like, listen to me. God loves you. Jesus Christ loves you. And his grace is sufficient for you. It's sufficient. Be okay and in, in, in just knowing that you're his child. And if you've got this confused somewhere along the way, man, repent. You say, God, my expectations for myself and for you have been jacked. And I'm sorry, I've forgotten who I am. Just, just tell him that. Now, here's the other deal. There's a lot of visitors today. I don't know everybody in the room, but listen to me. I know there's some people in the room today that have never received the grace of Jesus Christ. And you're saying to yourself, you know, I, I do believe. I believe in Jesus, but I've never repented of my sin, and I've never, through faith, laid hold on the gift that he's given me. And here's the thing that I would ask you. I would ask you to consider what your life is, what it means. Ask yourself, what happens when life is over? And then I would ask that you would consider whether or not Jesus Christ is the answer to all of your problems. Maybe today is the day that you just simply say for the very first time, you know what? 
I need the grace of God. I need to receive him. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, you've never believed on him and confessed him, do that today. Do not wait. Why hesitate? Why prolong? Why put off? Tomorrow is not promised to you. Receive Jesus Christ. Come forward, meet with somebody. There'll be counselors up here to talk to you about it. But let's put our faith in Christ today. Let's, some of us need to renew our love in Christ and others of us, others of us we need to come forward and, and put our faith in him for the very first time. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Um, Lord, thank you for the beauty of knowing you. Lord, thank you for, for giving us salvation and making us your children through Jesus Christ. Thank you for that grace, that grace that we get to tap into every single day, the grace that empowers us and motivates us. And God, thank you. Thank you. Lord, I pray that we would be disciples indeed and that because of what you've done in our lives, we would desire to do good works, that we would recognize that we are your workmanship and you deserve, you deserve, if anything, you deserve our simple obedience So teach us to do that today. There are people in the room that are working through a lot of different things in their mind and their heart. Lord, I pray that they would be able to sift through that with you today. And Lord, that you would call them to make decisions for your namesake. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, For service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.